in the name of the Father. Emily, can you put, for those who would like the answers to the questionnaire um, and where it is in the Bible and the catechism, I'm going to give these to Emily and she's going to put them on the back table where the books are so you can just pick those out on your way out or whatever. Okay. So for most people, accepting um, their maleness or femaleness is not a problem. It's not an issue they develop um, as children, etc., into becoming men and women, and it's not an issue. But for some people, it is. There, there's a lot of things that um, happen, and um, it's a struggle for them. And some of those things that we mentioned, like gender dysphoria, etc., Accepting our, just accepting our bodiliness is a big part of um, accepting being a creature. You know, accepting that we didn't create ourselves and that we depend on God. And, um, you know, in our, our society today, it seems like depending on God is, takes away our dignity. To be a child of God is, is, is not a good thing. It's like, I'm not free or something. It's like, no, actually that's where we get our dignity from. So remember, anything um, that says we're not a child of God is a false identity. And, you know, isn't that what Satan offered us in the garden? He's always offering false identities. So the first thing he said to Adam and Eve is, you're not a beloved child of God. He's lying to you. He said you're going to die. You're not going to die. You'll become like a God. They were already like God, made in the image of God. See, Satan's going to sell your own car back to you. I've got this great deal here. <laughs> it's yours. Okay. Um, right, so always offering a false identity to us. And now we have online. You know, we can go online and watch YouTubes and um, belong to some kind of a, a, a tribe of people, or, or we can um, create avatars, we can role play. Um, there's no limit, right? It's, it's endless, and I can just have false identity after false identity after false identity. And it's kind of like telling God, I don't like what you have for me. I'm going I'm to create myself over again. I'm going to do something else. So here are a quote or two from Pope Francis, who says, you know, he knows some transgender people, and he said, we always love and accept and welcome, certainly, um, the transgender person, somebody who's struggling with sexual identity um, or whatever, he said, but that doesn't mean that we buy into gender ideology or gender theory or explanations for why this is and um, what we should do about it and this indoctrination of children, right? So he said, I ask myself if so-called gender theory is not at the same time an expression of frustration and resignation which seeks to cancel out sexual difference because it no, no longer knows how to confront it. Not meaning, you know, confront, confrontation, but to just look and see, oh, this thing is different from me. What is it? <laughs> you know, the whole male, if we can heal, heal the male-female thing, we can heal everything, right? So we'll talk a little more about that too. He says, we risk taking a step backwards. The removal of difference creates a problem, not a solution. Men and women need to speak to one another more, listen to each other, know each other, love each other. 
The marital and familial bond is a serious matter, and it is so for everyone, not just believers. I would urge intellectuals not to leave this theme aside as if it had become secondary in order to foster a more free and just society. And then in Laudato Si, which is his book on the care of, of our common home on, on the earth, he says, the acceptance of our bodies as God's gift is vital for welcoming and accepting the entire world from the Father. Thinking that we enjoy absolute power over our own bodies often turns subtly to thinking we enjoy absolute power over creation. I would actually say that it's the reverse, that when we first started to unlock the secrets of nature through the scientific method um, and made all these amazing discoveries and rapid progress once we discovered the scientific method, then we were applying it first to uh, the environment, and then we said, hey, we can do that with ourselves, too. I think if that came first, and then we turned it in on our own bodies. And I don't mean true medicine. I don't mean, you know, actually healing a disease or something. I mean total manipulation of our bodies. Learning to accept our body, to care for it, respect its fullest meaning, is an essential element of human ecology. Pope Benedict uh, coined this term, human ecology. Valuing one's own body and its femininity or masculinity is necessary if I'm going to be able to recognize myself in an encounter with someone who is different. We joyfully accept the specific gifts of another man or woman, the work of the creator, and find mutual enrichment. It is not a healthy attitude which would seek to cancel out sexual difference because it no longer knows how to confront it. And um, for those who gave me their emails, I'm going to send you uh, an article that was just put out by the American College of Pediatricians um, on how gender ideology harms children. Okay. I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff. And we are going right to um, some points on same-sex attraction. Um, we say same-sex attracted now. We don't say homosexual orientation because it sounds like the whole person is oriented homosexually. That's not true. It's just a, a part of the person that has this inclination or attraction. Also, we have to be very careful with the word orientation. It's a brand new word. It's new, probably a few decades old, and it can be used for a lot of other things as well. So pedophiles are now saying that I just have an orientation to children. It's my orientation. Polyamorists are saying I have an orientation to multiple people, multiple sexual partners at the same time, not just one person. And when they saw that you know, so-called gay people got rights based on orientation, as though it was, were some sacred thing that you would base rights upon, trust me. Pedophilia is the next thing. It's, we, we've seen stuff. CBC ran a, a documentary that nobody else would touch called I Pedophile. And this person was using all the same terminology. I had no role models growing up. Um, it's too bad I can't be fulfilled in my sexuality because that's the only thing that fulfills you in life, right? <laughs> sex. Having sex. I can tell you that it's not. You will not die. I promise you. You will not die. Um, okay. So uh, the book um, 
loving my LGBT neighbor talks a lot about these these modern day trends, these very late cutting edge things and why we have to be very careful about our language. So when I wrote my Theology of the Body curriculum, 22 chapters, um, my friend from Courage International, she helped me with the wording and the language and I didn't have it right. I was using the language of the culture and yeah, why can't we say this and why can't we say that? She's like, no, no, like this is how we have to say it so that we say what we mean and we're not changing the reality by what we're saying. So, and we know, does God love everyone? Does God love trans people? Oh, yeah. Does he love people who are struggling with sexuality and whatever the heck? Yes. Does he love everybody in this room? Yes. So that's not even up for grabs. It's not a question. God loves everyone, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what our, 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 our issues are. And Pope Francis said, you know, as Catholics, we need to see the dignity of the whole person. See the person first. See the person first. So the gay, so-called gay community, may not accept uh, same-sex attraction terminology, but this is what we use because we feel it's more in accord with a person's human dignity. And to over-identify oneself with a particular inclination or attraction does not speak about the whole person. And often um, gay can mean the gay lifestyle, which... Um, or mean active, you know, sexually active. So that's another reason we don't use the word gay, to, to refer to every person who has um, same-sex attraction. So uh, there's some Benedictine monks that have a boys' high school in Illinois, Catholic high school, and they said some of the boys there have chosen to come out as gay, and there's no problem because any kind of bullying at that school, you are automatically expelled. The end. <laughs> any kind of bullying. So... And those boys want to be there. So, so everyone's friends, um, everyone participates, etc. Um, but he doesn't allow them to have a gay-straight alliance, a GSA. And so some of these gay teens come to him, how come? How come we can't have a GSA? And he goes, well, what else are you besides gay? Well, I'm a soccer player. I'm a big brother. I'm a musician. I, see? See, why are you over-identifying with this one um, aspect of yourself? Um, Homosexuality used to be in the DSM, the Di Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It was removed in 1974 because of pressure from gay activists. But it is a psychoaffective disorder or process that happens. Um, and it's something more that a young person discovers around puberty that they are attracted to people of the same sex. It can be a very frightening experience. It can be a very um, scary thing where a person says, oh, I'm not like everybody else, I'm different. Um, and to say disorder is not, um, people think it's like some harsh term or some kind of a judgment. It is not. It's just the reality, meaning the order of nature is male to female, female to male, um, the design, the plan, um, if we're going to say orientation, there's only one orientation. It's male to female, female to male. So subjectively, we might feel something that we are experiencing is normal for us, but we have to look at the objective picture of what is objectively normal in the order of nature, natural law, the divine order. Um, but, but even the word normal is not a good word because 
there's things like cannibalism that used to be normal, right, in certain cultures. There's, today, there's female genital mutilation, which is normal for some cultures. So it's not about what's normal, but what's true. Okay? So we don't like to use the word normal, because then, oh, someone else is abnormal. No. So for the most part, and, and I'll explain why I'm saying for the most part, same-sex attraction is not a choice, as we just said. It can be a choice for those who want to experiment sexually. And, you know, Lady Gaga and her born this way. <laughs> not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, and there's a whole group, I was told by Courage, um, that there are a lot of like um, gay, sexually active people who say, don't you dare say we were born this way. You're saying I have no freedom and I haven't chosen this. I am choosing this. I am choosing this. So don't say that I was born this way. I was not born this way. I am choosing this. Um, but again, the vast majority, it's not a choice for them. But we can, we can turn ourselves, right? Through habitual actions, we can make ourselves one way or another, right? I can make myself addicted to porn by watching porn. That you know, I wasn't born a porn addict, but I became one by my habitual repetitive acts. So if we're trying this and trying that and experimenting, we can find that we prefer something, right? Um, okay. So, again, for the vast majority, it's not a choice, but to choose to identify or over-identify with something is a choice that we make. So, what does the Catechism of the Catholic Church say? Number 2357 um, says, Homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction towards persons of the same sex. It has taken a great variety of forms through the centuries and in different cultures. Its genesis remains largely unexplained. So, where does it come from? We don't, we're not exactly sure. Basing ourselves on scripture, the church has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. Again, this is not a judgment. This is not harsh terminology. Uh, homosexual acts are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. The number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. The inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitutes for most of them a trial. So many people experience this as a cross, as, a, as something they would rather not have. Jillian Michaels, I think she's Biggest Loser. She's some physical fitness guru on TV, Jillian Michaels. She's a lesbian. She lives uh, with a woman, has kids. And she said, I would have preferred to have married the captain of the football team in high school. She was, I didn't choose this. I didn't want this for myself, but this is how I am, right? This is her terminology. Well, she got so slammed for saying that, as though she was supposed to like this and want this, and she's, but that's not my experience. This, do you know what I'm saying? She, she experienced it as a trial, as something she would rather have not had, had she been given the choice. Okay, so... The Catechism goes on to say that unjust discrimination is wrong. Um, and we, we can't talk in terms of us and them because we know that there are many Catholics and Christians that are same-sex attracted, right? They're, they're members of our church. So it's not us and them. Um, the Catechism says, 
These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross in the difficulties they may encounter from their condition. Now, there are other kinds of disorders that people can have, right? Um, sometimes we have other disorders, physical disorders in our bodies or whatever, um, not just sexual disorders. It's just that same-sex attraction is just a very fundamental type of disorder because it's going to affect the rest of your life, right? Um, Same-sex attracted people are free to get married. In the Catholic Church, they just, they're not attracted to somebody of the other sex, right? Um, and it's very, 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 very important that we understand that the person is not disordered. This inclination is disordered, all right? Because you'll hear people say that the church says, I'm sinful. The church says, I'm a disordered person. No, no, no. The inclination is this. We're, this is the whole point. We're saying, don't over-identify with this inclination that's a part of your life. It's a huge part. Huge, certainly. Um, and it's going to change. It's a game changer, right? When a person discovers, oh my gosh, I'm same-sex attracted. It's a game changer um, for the rest of their life. Um, the person is not sinful. Now, some fundamentalist Christians teach this, right? We are not fundamentalist Christians. They'll teach that the homosexual person is a sinner just by being homosexual, right? All of us are sinners when we sin, right? And because we are all sinners, we all have sinned at some point in our lives and many times, et cetera, et cetera. So we're all sinners. But the person, nobody can say somebody is intrinsic. Just by being who you are, you're sinful? No, 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 no. All right. So... Homosexual orientation is not sinful, but it's an inclination to an act that's always sinful because it's objectively disordered. Where does it come from? We have to tread very carefully because same-sex attraction is as complex as the person is complex, as the human person is complex. But there are some patterns. There are some things we know. Um, it can come from certain types of parenting. That doesn't mean parents should blame themselves and beat themselves up or whatever but it can. Um, is it nature or nurture? Can be both. It works differently for men than it does for women. It's a completely different trajectory. Because we're so different. Even with same-sex attraction, we have a book back there called The Heart of Female Same-Sex Attraction. Um, there are even some, possibly, some genetic predispositions. They've never find, found a gay gene, um, but there can be some, the new field of epigenetics, um, I had a friend encourage, and he said, you know, sister, my whole family has a genetic predisposition to alcoholism as well. So even if they find that I have a genetic predisposition to same-sex attraction, I'm not going to act out on that either. Um, and actually, when they do studies on identical twins, it seems that, um, again, it's very interesting because usually one will be same-sex attracted and the other won't. Raised in the same home, they have the exact same DNA, but again, temperament, right? One child might have a, a different personality. Maybe parents um, signal, and again, it's not all parents, but maybe signaled something to that child they didn't to the other child, etc. And do not discount environmental factors today. <laughs> we live in a toxic world, and um, especially for men, believe it or not. Um, the pill is estrogen. It's synthetic estrogen, the female hormone. It, it's in our. It's been in pee, lady pee in our water supply for decades and decades and decades. Does not break down in water purification plants. 
our milk and our, our beef that have the human growth, or whatever, not human growth, <laughs> the growth hormone in them is also mocks estrogen. Pesticides, certain plastics mock estrogen. We are floating in a sea of estrogen, which is precancerous for women. That's why the pill is a class one carcinogen. Did you know that? The pill, the contraceptive pill is a class one carcinogen known to cause cancer. Um, and it feminizes men. Estrogen feminizes men. It's the girly hormone, as the Australians say. Um, <laughs> yeah, so very interesting. Um, also, the sexual licentiousness and promiscuity of the 1960s, it started with the sexual revolution, led to sexual confusion. And I don't mean you know, gender dysphoria, I mean women no longer knew what it meant to be a woman. Men no longer knew what it meant to be a man. And that has led to sexual chaos. We are living in times today of sexual chaos. We, in general, get our sexual identity from our same-sex parent and our sexual identity confirmation from our other sex parent. We don't say opposite sex in theology of the body because we're not opposed. We say other sex, okay? So we get our sexual identity from our same-sex parent I looked at my mom, oh, that's what a woman is. I'm like her. Hmm, interesting. I look at my dad, and I'm like, daddy's a little princess. I never actually was. He was more like, stand on your own two feet. That's <laughs> just my dad, the way he raised me. But anyway, I mean, he loved me, and he treated me like his little, his little girl, but I was, I was never a diva, never a princess. Um, but, you know, again, I said, oh, my daddy, he's not like me. He's like my brother. And, and, but he loves me. He loves me as his little girl, not as his son, right? Okay. Now, men learn to become men externally. This is part of the reason why there have always been much greater instances of male homosexuality than female. This is one of the reasons. Again, everyone has their own story, but there are patterns, and there are people who can tell you, people who identify as gay, same-sex attracted people who can tell you what, what happened, why. They, some can't, some don't care. Some have tried to find out, can't figure out why. Um, people encourage, uh, courage actually encourages people, if they can figure out why they might have same-sex attraction, they should, because it can help direct some of the healing. And I don't mean changing their orientation, we'll talk about that too. Um, but, but help them in, in, their, in their healing. We all need healing, by the way. Um, so why do men learn to be men externally? They have to hit certain benchmarks in life so that they feel like they're a man, they feel like they can do it, they feel like they're good enough. The reason is, men's sexuality is external to their bodies and the body means something. The body is speaking a language. My father, my friend, Father Loya, who's a Byzantine priest, one of my TOB mentors, he just said, if you want to understand men, externality, externality, externality. Men image God's transcendence going out to work on the world to make it a better place. Women's sexuality is internal to their bodies. Women are born knowing how to be women. But see, our radars are broken today, so women are all confused here. But it used to be, <laughs> but it used to be that women were just knew how to be women. Our, our sexuality is internal to our body. We are born more integrated. Men have to work at it. Men have to like achieve these, these things. It's not perfectly defined, but there are benchmarks. Um, and if a guy misses enough of them in his life, he may feel like, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm you know, a guy. Or um, 
It can happen that other guys don't accept him. Don't let him play sports with them. They call him a sissy. They call him names and stuff like that. Um, maybe he didn't have a father or his father uh, never approved of him. Or There's a million different things. I'm domineering mother, right? Um, many of these things. Okay. Sometimes women choose lesbianism because they've had bad experiences with men. They've been sexually abused or in their promiscuity, they decided that guys are, are mean and guys dump them and use them and um, they've had some, or a little bit rough with them and they turn to women. Um, you know, the sitcoms call it trauma. She's a trauma lesbian. Okay, meaning she's had a lot of bad experiences with men, so she's turning to women who are nice and kind and gentle and sweet and soft. And it's easy because you know what women are like, right? Um, now, this idea of reparative therapy, um, or sometimes it's horrible, I don't, I don't like these terminology, conversion therapy, have you heard that? It's illegal now for minors. Um, I think in Ontario, also the state of California, you are, psychologists and therapists are not allowed to counsel young people, even if they want it, to help them um, move toward heterosexuality, if they want that. They're not allowed anymore. They have to be 18 or up. And that's why Courage used to have a youth track, and they, they're not allowed to anymore, Courage International, um, which is CourageRC.net, by the way. CourageRC, Roman Catholic, .net. Um, <laughs> but, but there is a video that will pop up like a film. It's called uh, Desire of the Everlasting Hills. When you first uh, go to their website, watch that. That's really good. It's the testimony of three people, just their whole life stories. Um, there's also another video called The Third Way. Full disclosure, yours truly is in it. I am the token nun. They stuck me up there and say a few words. Um, and it's really beautiful. It's people's testimonies of, um, and sometimes bad treatment in the church because of their same-sex attraction. Um, but many different stories. Um, and then how they found some healing, found their way into the Catholic Church for most of them. Um, and then, but also teaching. Teachings about... Um, homosexuality, etc. So, so, you know, Catholic, does the Catholic Church hate gays? No! Maybe there's some horrible individual Catholics who are, you know, horrible people. That's their problem and that's sinful, right? Um, but the Catholic Church, and actually, um, if you go to tinyurl.com forward slash Y'all should get familiar with that. You can make your own cool web, web names. Tinyurl.com forward slash TOB podcast. There's a testimony of a woman who actually converted to Catholicism because of we have pastoral care for same-sex attracted people. And, and she found it very healing. Um, she wrote a book, too, called um, I Just Came for the Ashes. <laughs> Her name is Robin Beck. And... Um, so don't, don't let people tell you that the Catholic Church is mean and, and gay people are leaving the church. And there are people converting into Catholicism. My, one of my friends, her hairdresser's gay, and he said he's evangelical background or Baptist or something. And he said, you know, you Catholics understand us better than my own church does. He goes, you get us. Like, you know that there's a whole psychology going on. You don't just say, believe on the Lord Jesus and you're going to be healed. You know, <laughs> you know, if you had more faith... You can be healed. You can change your orientation. We don't believe that. We believe in science and, you know, good psychology and, um, you know, this is a journey for people. And um, courage does not 
encourage people to try to change their orientation. But it doesn't discourage them either if they want to try. There's a very famous doctor, Dr. Joseph Nicolosi from NARTH, N-A-R-T-H, who's done a lot of this work. And it has been uh, successful for some people, but Courage tries to tell people like not to get their hopes up either, that they're going to have this big change and they're going to, you know. But some people actually do um, wind up marrying uh, the other sex, somebody of the other sex. Um, again, if somebody's same-sex attracted and, and is having a hard time with that, like they're rejecting that, they shouldn't go off and get married to somebody of the other sex to prove something to themselves, right? Especially without telling the other person. Um, and, and people have tried to blame that on the church and say, well, that's because the Catholic Church shames gay people. And so they, they try to get married, and then suddenly the wife, after like two or three kids, because again, more often uh, um, cases of male homosexuality, is like, gets abandoned, right? Because he'll leave her for a guy, and now she's got the kids. And um, so anyway, Thank God, Cardinal George, before he died from Chicago, said, thank God people don't feel they have to hide it so much. You know what I mean? Hide anymore. Like, um, and, and do things like this, right? But the laws allow young people to do extremely invasive and radical therapies who want to be the other sex. Right? And this is not same-sex attraction, but transgender. So I just read an article today, an eight-year-old boy, they're giving him puberty-blocking drugs. He's eight years old. Um, you know, these are, some of this stuff is irreversible, too. Um, so, wow, we can't even, a therapist can't even talk. This is mostly just talking. Can't even talk to a young person who, is, who wants to see if they can move toward heterosexuality. Um, the, the thing that the law was trying to guard against was some of these really harsh. Uh, I read some, some descriptions of some of these Jesus camp stuff where they sent these kids off and, you know, every time they had a thought of somebody of the same sex, they had to dunk their head in ice water and, like, really, like, abusive stuff. And this is, in part, I think, what the law was trying to make sure wasn't happening, that parents were forcing their children to go to these very, very um, harsh, abusive places to, to turn them and change them. Um, but what about just talking therapy, you know, um, that the young person wants? Nope, they're not allowed to have that. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you a quick story of one of our sisters from a big Roman Catholic Irish family, um, and one of her sisters identified herself as a lesbian, late teenagehood, um, lived with a woman for about 10 or 12 years, and the whole family, they didn't approve of her lifestyle, right? but they didn't tell her every time they saw her, okay? And she was welcome in the family, and so was her partner. Um, and now I know this can be also complicated, so the LGBT book deals with this, because sometimes it's like, okay, so what do you do if there are children in the family and they see their beloved auntie so-and-so kissing a woman? Like, what do you do? How do you explain these things to your kids without rejecting your own flesh and blood, right? So. This idea of people disowning their children, kicking them out of the house, I, I will never understand that, ever. You know, your other kid is a bank robber, and you still love them, right? <laughs> but your child has shown some gender confusion, same-sex attraction, and some parents just freak out and, and literally kick their kids out of the house. 
you know. So we have a lot of homeless uh, young people that are, are uh, trans or um, same-sex attracted, etc. So anyway, this this family, one of our sisters, um, is just a perfect example of how you treat people like people and you don't disown them. And yes, it's true we need to challenge people. It's not that they should say like never tell their daughter what they think about. No, it's not just what you think, but um, you know about what she's doing according to the Bible and the church and blah blah blah. But neither do you nag somebody. Does that make sense? So, because when I've told this story before, some people said to me, well, they shouldn't just leave their daughter in sin like that. They should challenge her and this and that. And it's true. But but, but we're all sinners and we all have sin. Some of our sins are hit more hidden than others. Um, and, and yes, we want the best, the ultimate best for our, uh, our family members. But because they didn't nag her, every time they saw her, um, eventually, um, and actually... Our sister, she gave her a book to read on um, sexually back there called Sexual Authenticity, um, which I think helped her. She eventually got out of the lesbian relationship, and she's now married to a guy. Um, they think she might have been abused. Um, she's, she's gorgeous. She's like a model. She's drop-dead gorgeous. And they think there was abuse in her teenage years from men. Because um, she said about her new husband, he makes me feel so safe. He makes me feel safe. And also, there was a rejection of the mother. When she was little, the mother, there was about eight kids in the family, the mother got really sick with one of the births after her and had to stay away from the family for a long time. And so when the mother came back, all the older brothers and sisters saw it. She rejected the mother, her, her, her identification parent, right? So the little girl rejected her mom. It was like She felt like she had been abandoned by her mother. She was very, very small. And she wanted nothing to do with her mother after that. She wouldn't let her mother touch her. So this rejection of the mother. But after this breakup, which was amicable with the lesbian partner, the family kept in touch with her because they loved her. She was like part of the family now. You know, that's how you treat people like people. Um, and, and the daughter was okay with that. She just didn't want to, you know, was an ex. She didn't want to be around when, when the friend was around, the ex-partner was around. Okay. But it can work the other way too. So some of my friends in Courage say, say that there are people who cut their parents off if their parents won't applaud everything they do and say that they agree with the lifestyle or let them come into their home and, you know, have sex in the bedroom on the weekends with their partner in the double bed or something and the parents won't agree with that, then they cut their parents off. So it can work both ways, right? We, we need to keep the lines of communication open. Um, love, love, be there for family members and friends. That's important. Um, Gay jokes? Never. Right? We should make gay jokes. And, and it's all over television, though, and you're like, how is that possible? Hollywood is so gay-friendly. Why are they still making gay jokes and stuff? Well, it's also part of you have arrived, right? When they can make fun of you, it's, it means you have arrived now. You're not like the sacred cow that nobody can touch, etc. Um, but if you're joking, making gay jokes, what if your friend is struggling? and you don't even know it. They're not going to trust you, right? <laughs> You're making gay jokes. And, and men tend to do this more than women because guys are just more insecure. I don't know why. <laughs> They're just more insecure. Okay. Anyway, I do a whole day on masculinity and femininity, and I, I've learned a lot about guys through my priest TOB friends and my guy TOB friends and 
reading stuff, and it's been very enlightening. Like, I didn't really understand. So women aren't the only mysterious ones, okay? You guys don't understand us, but we don't really understand you either. <laughs> so, oh, men are so simple. No, they're not. They're very complex. My dad was, I don't think any of us understood him. He was like Renaissance man, and like he was so complicated. Anyway, um, so the problem that can play into to a, a young man's development is this idea that men have to keep proving over and over and over to each other that they're men. Right? You never arrive, like you have to keep proving that you're men. It's like, guys, stop it. You're a guy. You don't have to, it's not something you earn. You are a man, period. That's the starting point, not the ending point. Okay, and it's gonna look different on different men. Masculinity looks different on different men. Femininity looks different on different women. There's not one way to be a woman and be feminine and one way to be a man and be masculine. Okay, so guys, cut it out, okay? And there's this idea like that you have to define yourself as not a woman. You're a little girl. You're acting like a little girl right now. Like I said, that's, that's the worst insult you could ever say, a little girl. It's like, and it's like, and so automatically, you're setting women up as inferior in, in men's minds, get it? If a guy keeps saying like, or has to keep proving he's not a girl, and a little girl is the most insulting comment you can have, then that's something really, really bad to be a woman. Okay, you're not a woman, but it's not something bad, okay? Anyway. <laughs> see? Okay, see how silly it is? Okay. Um, also, emotions. Guys, we tell guys that they're not allowed to have emotions, feel emotions, or express emotions. This is so damaging. It's human. To have emotions is one part of the third trimester. No, it's one part of the three faculties that we have as human beings, the ability to um, reason, choose, and, and emote. This is what it means. Think, will, and love. Mind, will, and heart. This is what it means to be human. So. To tell guys that they shouldn't have, feel, or express emotions is crazy. And then we wonder why they explode in anger and violence, right? Um, and, and you have to watch this, this DVD. It's on, actually, it's on Netflix. You can stream it on Netflix Canada. It's called The Mask You Live In. And it's about the false ideals of manhood today. We, we know about the woman thing, right? It's like so hackneyed and obvious. Women get abused for their bodies and their beauty and you know, their sexuality, et cetera, and they're treated as inferior, blah, 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 blah. We know this. We've heard this like so much, right? What about guys? What about the pressure they're under? What about the pain they're in from these false expectations about men? The mask you live in, it's incredible. And one of the big things is about emotions. And the guys are saying, there's all kinds of at-risk youth and men's groups talking, and they say, well, I can't even express what's going on to my friends because that's what girls do, and we're not allowed to do that with each other. So my guys, my friends will have my back when times are good. When times are bad, I can't talk about it to anyone because that's what girls do. It's like, you know what, guys? That's like not using your arms and legs because girls have them too. <laughs> you have manly emotions, okay? Emotions are manly. Men grieve, but they grieve as men. They experience this. Men have empathy. I have, been, I have been guilty of feminizing things like empathy. Empathy is not a feminine virtue. It's a, a human virtue. And men will express that in a different way than women will. Okay. Um, I'm just going to change my PowerPoint. So it becomes personal. Um, and that's fine, but it shouldn't change our thinking. It shouldn't change what we know is right, what we know is wrong, just because now we know someone or 
um, actually we should be, be even more helpful to them because we know something that can help them. So, um, so I'll give you a little um, example of this. So there was a young man many moons ago when I was, lived in Toronto for the first time, and he called up on the phone, and his name was John, and he said, Sis, are you a sister? I said, yes. He said, are homosexual acts wrong, acting out homosexually? I said, yes. And he said, how come I can't get a priest in Toronto to tell me that? I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I've been going to confession. I'm Catholic. I've been going to confession, um, confessing homosexual acts, and, um, and they keep telling me, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. As long as you love the other person, be yourself. If this is your true self, blah, blah, blah. And he said, he said, sister, my, my lifestyle right now is a slippery slope. He was going to the bathhouses. This is okay. I'm old. Uh, he was going to the gay bathhouses and stuff. And this is when there was no cure for AIDS. Like there was no the cocktail of drugs they have now. That's why you don't hear so much about it. They can manage it. People were still dying of AIDS. And he said, they, these priests are more concerned about losing me as a Catholic than saving my life. And we could say spiritually and physically too. Um, and he said to me, will you promise me that if anybody asks you, like I just did, if homosexual acts and activity and lifestyle is wrong, you'll say yes. And I said, well, I usually try to tell the truth, but yes, I will promise you that I will do that for you. And he said, thank you. He said, um, so he goes, you know what I do? I go to the Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> he goes, and I ask them, is this wrong? And they go, yeah, stop it. <laughs> so he said, but I'm Catholic. I want to be Catholic. So we, we developed a relationship, and then he came into the bookstore one time, and he said, Sister, are there, I'm coming back to the Catholic Church, but are there any, like, just Catholics anymore? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, everybody I talk to says, well, I'm Catholic, but... <laughs> he goes, there's only Catholic butts. Are, are there any Catholics anymore? So I sent him someplace to, to get some more training and brush up on his faith. Um, so sometimes we think people don't want to hear the truth, or they don't want to us to help them, or... They want us to just approve. Now, maybe they do, but because that's all they know. But what about my friend John? You know, what about people who are looking for a way out, who have never heard anything else, something compassionate, something possible? Uh, we have to be there for people in that way too. And the more we educate ourselves, the more we can be helpful too. So what did Pope Francis mean when he said, who am I to judge? Did he change church teaching or anything? No. So nothing changed. Uh, who told us not to judge? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> right. Um, are we supposed to love everyone? Yes. Um, so, so nothing changed. And if you actually read the whole uh, conversation that he had on the airplane, when he said that, he said, well, I have to distinguish, too, between somebody who might be coming at me as a gay lobbyist. They're here to promote an ideology, and they want to change society, and they want to change laws, et cetera, et cetera. Or is this person a sincere individual who's coming to me? Right? So um, again, that's the difference between you know, Pope Francis saying, we need to love and accept and welcome and accompany the, the same-sex attracted person or the transgender person. But it doesn't mean we have to buy into the ideology or that this is right or okay or, or good or whatever.
So there's that idea of um, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? But I mean, a lot of people who identify as gay don't believe it's sinful, so they don't want to hear that, right, <laughs> from us, you know? And how would you like if people just, they knew, figured out what your sin was, and they just kept talking to you every time they saw you about your sin, and, you know, kept saying, well, I love you, but I don't love your sin, and, you know, well. <laughs> um, so this, seriously, is my, this is my toothbrush holder. Um, so just to remind myself we are all sinners yes we are Um, it's just like you can be in a you can be against a war but for the soldiers in the war right you can you can believe this is an unjust war but you can care about the soldiers right in the war um there is some laws uh bishop fred henry of calgary just retired um, he was a tireless fighter for the rights of the family and um, the Catholic Church and Catholic schools and whatnot. He's a good guy. All through the years, too. And um, he said there's a lot of laws on the books right now in Canada and the USA that they're not enforcing yet, but they could if they wanted to. So, for example, in the States, uh, there's a law that says you can't separate the person from their actions. So if you're talking about homosexual actions... You, that's hate speech against the person themselves because the person is their actions. What? Seriously? This is like, philosophically makes no sense, right? All right. Um, have you heard of intersex? Do you know what intersex is? Um, do you know what hermaphrodite is? Okay, so the, the old term was hermaphrodite, meaning... Um, there are certain animals in the animal kingdom, plant kingdom, that um, have genitals of both sexes um, or are exactly 50-50, self-pollinating, whatever. Some human beings are also born that way, bodily, you know. Um, now, and, and they prefer to be called intersex today. So this does not mean that they're 50-50. This does not mean that they have genitals of both sexes. Um, sometimes it's an undifferentiation. In, in, in the genitals, or a little bit of one, a little bit of another, but usually it's it's um, usually it's pretty clear what the person is. Sometimes it can be that a woman, instead of ovaries inside, has testes inside, and she might not know that till she goes to get pregnant, because all her life she's felt like a woman, lived like a woman, everything else is, is going. She's got the horm- the right hormones, etc. Um, some women don't have. There was a famous Olympian from South Africa. I forget her name. There was a whole big case because she was like, like, way out in front of the other women. Like, she, um, she should have been competing with the men probably or something. But, but she, she was a, she was a little simple girl from a village. She um, always identified as a woman. She had no breasts. She had no ovaries when they went to examine her because they thought, well, this is unfair because she was just blowing everybody else out of the water. Turns out she had she could, her body couldn't process testosterone because women have a little testosterone too in our bodies. And so her body just kept producing more and more and more testosterone, um, which turned her into, uh, made her very manly and made, gave her the strength of, of a man, too, and endurance of a man. So these things happen. Um, now, unfortunately, very unfortunately, um, some of these children, when they're born, the doctors try to scare the parents 
and tell them that they have to operate on them right away or the child will be ostracized, the child won't lead a normal life, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what the intersex people are so angry about. And for some reason, they blame the church for this. And the church had nothing to do with this. This was psychologists and surgeons who believed that gender is all a social construct. So you could do anything you wanted to that child and just, uh, the, and if, whatever way you raise them is how they would feel. Do you think that's what happened? No. So they often made the wrong choice and did surgery on, on the young baby or child and the parents were trying to raise the child as the wrong gender. A lot of these children committed suicide later in life, when they, especially when they found out what happened to them. Some had um, surgery back, tried to have reconstructive surgery to the gender that they really were and felt. So it's up to the person. Leave the kid alone. The kid knows what they are. They'll figure it out. So the church is, is with them on that. Unfortunately, some of the intersex organizations today believe that each person is their own gender because they're unique in a sense, that they don't believe that they are either a variation on a female or female, or a little bit of both. They believe that they are their own gender, which we don't believe. Um, and for the most part, it was boys that this was done to, because it's much easier to make a boy into a girl than a girl into a boy, physically, to, to construct body parts. So very, very tragic. Um, We are going to jump over to my quick points because there's a lot more to this. Um, we could, you know, literally talk for days because human beings are complex, right? Um, Because sometimes people will bring that up. They'll bring up intersex right away and say, well, see, it's like a gotcha. Like, see? Like, there are people who are, who are both. They're born that way. It's like, and it's of the body, right? So, but yes, yes, that's what happens. Um, and we're going to talk for a moment about, I'm just going to jump ahead to, uh, some people will ask the question, well, why does God make people this way? Well, does he make people with cystic fibrosis? Does he make people, uh, you know, with, without an arm, born without an arm? Not directly. God creates, sustains, and is active in our world, but he's also given a certain autonomy to nature, right? And we have to remember that after the fall in the Garden of Eden, we became a fallen world, and it affected everything, right? Affected everything. So... Our bodies are also fallen, uh, but we have guidance from God and the church. We have beautiful science, philosophy, psychology, and pastoral practice to help us deal with all kinds of issues, physical, spiritual, psychological, sexual, whatever they are. God does create the soul of each person, right? So the parents provide the body of the child, but God, at the moment of conception, provides the soul directly. So... If gender dysphoria is a disorder of the soul, a person thinks they're... So did God put a female soul into a male body? No. He created a female soul to go with a female body. But something happened, maybe even in the womb, where this disorder, this confusion um, took place. And we don't understand. We don't really know exactly where it comes from. 
So is this person still made in the image of God? Absolutely. Totally worthy of respect, welcome in the church. God didn't make a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. No human being is a mistake, right? There is a passage in Wisdom. No, it's, it was Wisdom, I think. And it says, Woe to him who says to the Creator, What are you creating in the womb? And a lot of uh, parents of disabled children have used that, that passage. God doesn't set us up to fail. We're all imperfect in one way or another. Okay. The term LGBTQ, somebody asked me at the break, what does that mean? So it means what? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and Q is for questioning. Sometimes it means queer, but sometimes it means questioning, meaning I'm not sure, or I am permanently deferring to declare my gender, I just want to be fluid, something like that. Um, and of course, like for Pride Month that we had here in Toronto, or uh, it was LGBTQ, um, I, A, uh, 2, S, S, there was like many, many gender designations. LGB is still very much about same-sex attraction, right? Lesbian, uh, gay, and then B for bisexual. T and Q are a little more about identity, but then also about attraction after figuring out that identity. Sorry, I'm just like jumping all over the place here because I want to cover the most important issues or what I think you might be most interested in and then we'll have the Q&A later. Um, oh, okay. We'll get to that. All right. Now, is same-sex attraction on the rise? No, it has stayed constant through the years at between 3 and 6% and trans at 0.2%. But I think we're going to see an increase for many reasons, for um, some of the environmental toxic reasons, but also because of developmental reasons. So for example, the breakdown of the family. We know that that really, really affects children in their development. And again, if we have people encouraging you to experiment with your gender when you're really little and telling you gender is something you create for yourself, and, and the child hears this constantly, um, or, as they told me at Courage, they said, Sister, we have a problem today. When somebody is a preteen or a teen, they don't go to their parent. They don't go to their school counselor even necessarily, um, or their priest or whatever to get help. They go to YouTube. <laughs> right? And then you find these people. So go to YouTube and look for detransitioning youth. All right? Mostly women, young women. These are young people who said they were recruited online when they said they kind of felt like this or they had a problem and maybe I'm transgender or maybe what would solve my problem is to become the other gender. And they, were, they said we were recruited. The trans community just grabbed us and said, here's where, yes, you are trans. Go, to, go here to this community center and you'll get the free hormones and this and that and become the other sex. This is how you do it. We're, we're your tribe. You're one of us. Da, 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 you know, and... Eventually, one of these gals, I follow two of them online, she, um, she said, it didn't make me happy. Like, she, she got more depressed. And then she said, I had trauma as a female. She didn't say what, probably sexual abuse, rape. 
She said, I needed to deal with my trauma as a female, not become a man. I'm doing um, TOB at a university that will go unnamed, because we're being recorded, uh, here in the area, the GTA. And one of the gals came up to me and said, Sister, my, I have two friends that want to become men, two women. And it's not even that they feel trans. They just said, women are so abused. We've been so oppressed. I think it's better we become men. So they're thinking about transitioning. This is where we're at, people. It's, you know, as though you can't really become the other gender, no matter what surgeries you have or uh, hormones you take. You don't really become the other gender. But so some of these detransitioning young women, um, some of it's irreversible. She said, I have a five o'clock shadow now. I will for the rest of my life. I had my breasts removed. Some have hysterectomies. They go the whole way, right? And she said, my voice is lower now. Always will be. So I really think, you know, if we can get to our young people with theology of the body, we can, I'm, I'm so glad she, she was able to, um, she's there on YouTube to give hope to other young people who, uh, who are detransitioning. So now they feel like they're freaks or something. And she's like, no, no, no. Um, or, or to save other young people from just jumping into this because they get recruited. Um, and, and actually, so I think what's going to happen is people with underlying problems are going to use transitioning as a fix for something that's actually another problem. And they're going to think this, because it's trendy right now, right? It's cool to be trans, right? Um, especially if they hear this from when they're very small. They can just keep hearing the same message over and over. So, just to, to let you know how Courage began, whoops, uh, where is Courage? There we go. So, 1980, two uh, guys who identified as gay, New York City, went to Cardinal Cook, who was the cardinal at the time, and said, we want out of the gay lifestyle, what do you have for us? Do you have some, is there some, cat? we're both Catholic, we want to come back to the church, what do you have? And the cardinal said, let me, let me look around, I don't know. Checked, it was nothing. He said, we need, well, we'll start something. So he got Father Harvey, got us to Seoul, and Father Grishel was very instrumental, founder of the CFRs uh, in, in founding Courage. And like I said, it's a spiritual support group for those um, with same-sex attraction. Now, we don't want to just change out the word gay with the word SSA, okay? Because the whole point is we don't think labels are helpful. So we just want to talk about people as people. So we have to be careful. And the way I'm taught that I have to say it is not at the SSA person, like the gay person. We just say a person experiencing SSA, which is long and, and, and drawn out. But we're, we're trying to preserve something here. And so I, I asked my friends in Korea, I said, is it so bad if I use the word gay? Is it really so bad? They're like, yes, stop it. <laughs> I said, why? I said, well, every time I heard that, that became my identification. Um, I kept telling myself, yes, I am gay. Every time I heard that, it just reinforced, reinforced. You have your red cards, okay? So the front of the red card talks about the seven stages of true love. And number seven is the only place where sex belongs. Does everybody have a, anyone need a red card? You do? Okay. Um, could somebody please? Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Just anyway, just keep your hand up. Katie will give you a red card. So these are the seven stages of true love. And number seven is the only place where sex belongs. Just like the media tells us, right? <laughs> and the culture tells us. 
Wait until you get married, right? Um, but take another look at this. One through six is a great way to love anyone, right? So let's, let's pretend this is not ro even romantic necessarily right now. One through six is a great way to love anyone. I'm attracted to this person. I'd like to be their friend. Um, I have a desire to be with them more and more. I have sympathy, meaning, do you know what the difference between sympathy and empathy is? Empathy is I can imagine how you feel. Sympathy is I can feel how you feel. What makes you, I, not just I know what makes you happy and sad, it makes me happy and sad too. I am I'm feeling with you, I am sympathizing with you. Uh, for friendship, uh, five, willing the good of the other person no matter what it costs me. Uh, true love, but then married love is, is the only place sex comes in. Um, and marriage is based on the otherness of body persons. Marriage is based on the otherness of body persons that go together, that complement each other, body, soul, mind, will, heart, uh, sexually, socially, physically, etc. And from which new life can come. Okay? Um, and then we flip it over. This is what the language of the body, the language of sexuality is saying, these five things. So sometimes people say, well, how come no gay marriage and everything? Because marriage, marriage is what it is, and it's, it always has been, and it's based on the otherness of body persons. Just, just super duper fundamentally, it's the most fundamental aspect. Just like um, when people want to define what is a human being, I just say made of human stuff. <laughs> Pretty simple. Body, body, body. So same-sex marriage can neither be unitive, the two, the two ends of sex, unitive and procreative, because gay or lesbian sex is not sexual intercourse. It's not. It's sexual activity, but it's not uniting the bodies in the one flesh union that Genesis talks of. And it can't be procreative ever, because the bodies are not designed for each other. And we are in this world here where we have torn body and soul apart in marriage. And that's why we think there's such a thing as gay marriage, because it's just of the soul. It's just who I love. Marry who you love. It's just about feelings. But marriage is about more than feelings. Marriage is about more than the soul. It's also marriage of the body. Marriage is union of body and soul. Because if marriage is really only about love, meaning feelings, then or companionship, then I don't even, marriage doesn't even have to be limited to one person, right? That's why we have polyamory, right? Three or more people are in love as a group, as a unit, and they want to be married. And, and once gay marriage passed, these other people, they're in line. Polygamy passed almost immediately in certain states in the U.S. right after same-sex marriage passed. Um, what about age? Ageism. I want to marry an eight-year-old. But they'll never say it that way. They'll say, this eight-year-old, how dare you deprive them of the right to marry an adult? It's all about rights, 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 rights. And they have been trying, been trying for decades to break down 
the between children and adults, right? Pedophilia, pedophilia, pedophilia. Trust me, look for it, it's coming. Pedophilia, legitimization of it. Because hey, if gender is just a social construct, what else is just a social construct? Childhood. Childhood. In the Middle Ages, children were treated as little adults. Did you know that? There were no child labor laws. Children were not protected from anything. Their parents could do whatever they wanted with them. They were like little adults. They had to work. They had to work, too, to support the family. Um, so be careful, be careful, be careful. When people say, oh, I believe in same-sex marriage, but I want to stop there. I just want to, that's all I believe. I just want to stop there. No, you can't. Because you, you, you just broke down everything that said that marriage is unique and based on the otherness of body persons, one man, one woman. Did you know that marriage being between one man and one woman is a dogma of our faith? Did you know that? It is a dogma. A dogma, yeah. To be believed by all the faithful. So because the same principles that were used to break down what marriage really is and pass same-sex marriage can be used for many other things. And who are you now to be to discriminate against all those other people for whom marriage means this or marriage means that? Now you're a bigot against all these other forms of marriage that people believe in and perhaps are already like living that way, right? Polygamy. Hmm. One man and a bunch of women. Hmm. That's great for women, right? Feminist. Yeah. Do you know, uh, one woman and, and a bunch of men is very rare. It's called polyandry. has a different name. Very interesting. Yes. M marriage between a man and a woman um, is very good for women, by the way. Um, that's a whole other conversation. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because it shows that she is worthy of having one man. Right? She's not a possession. She's not like, well, a guy needs about eight of her to satisfy him and because you're not really a full person anyway, right? Okay. What about same-sex parenting? Kids need a mom and a dad. Um, the love of a mother and the love of a father are not the same thing. Parenting is not generic. It's not interchangeable. Um... This is not saying, you know, same-sex par uh, parenting, that they're terrible people and they don't love children and can't, you know, do that. But children need more than just a roof over their heads, um, et cetera, et cetera. And especially if the child is not being adopted, you're creating a new child who will not be raised with at least one of its biological parents, which every child has a right to, if at all possible, to be raised with its biological parents. Adoption is a whole other ballgame. That is something completely different. Nobody plans to have a child and put it up for adoption. I think I'm going to have a child and then put it up for adoption. <laughs> no. It's, something happens. Something goes wrong. It's a single mom. She's young. Um, whatever. Thanks be to God. She chose life uh, for her baby or her and her partner chose life or the husband or whatever. Um, and then the child is here. The child's alive, right? But to plan ahead of time into society that there will be children created in a laboratory, which is also not okay. IVF, surrogate motherhood, not okay. Not okay. This is manufacturing children. Now, I know people don't know this. And people have done this in all good faith, like Catholics. All they knew is they wanted children. 
And that's a beautiful desire. But we, we're not entitled to children any old way we want. Because children, children not yet conceived have rights too. And I don't mean the rights to have sex with adults. Those are false rights. There was a wonderful old Monsignor, William Smith, in, in New York. <laughs> he used to say, like this was when euthanasia was being talked about many moons ago and didn't quite happen, it's happening now, but he goes, if they're giving out the rights, don't get in that line. Don't get in that line. Because we have all the rights we need already. If they're handing out the rights, you don't get in that line. It's not going to be good. <laughs> okay. Yes. So this is what, I don't know if any of you remember this picture. It was in the Toronto Star, and it was big in the rounds during, I think, maybe a year or two ago. These two um, you know, gay dads, they use this surrogate mother here, and this is their baby boy. And that, that's a new thing now. They have you take your shirt off, like, um, and so the baby, because the baby loves the skin and everything. So, and everybody was crying and like, oh, isn't this beautiful? Um, and I said, do you realize what's really happening in this picture? Is anybody thinking about the kid? This is all about what the adults want. What the adults want. What makes the adults feel good. So, only one of those dads is the real biological dad of the child. This little baby was growing in this woman for nine months. And there is a physical, emotional, psychological attachment at a very deep level, like genetic attachment there. Women carry the, the DNA, the cells of every child they've ever carried in their bodies for the rest of their lives. And they're going to take this baby away. This was planned. This was planned into this child's life to take it away from a woman that's its biological mother and raise it without her, plan into that child's life that the child will not have a mother or not a mother they're going to live with. Maybe, I don't know if the child will visit her and have a relationship with her. But even that's not natural. You know what I mean? To have, not have, to have this relationship with a mother who, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know the case of the, the lesbians here in Ontario who were using the same sperm bank in the States? And this guy fathered 30 children with his sperm. And they said he was an Ivy League neuroscientist. You know what I'm talking about? Turned out he was a schizophrenic, paranoid guy who with a long rap sheet, um, homeless, and now they're worried about these women are suing. They're doing a class action suit against the sperm bank, saying you fought, you lied. But you know, this, do you think this is God's plan? Do you think this is God? How God wants us to have children and raise children and. And we know, they're doing studies, it's still pretty new, but it's not in the best interest of the child. Um, and children will experience more same-sex attraction themselves when they are raised in same-sex homes. It's statistically proven. But again, people say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. It's okay. Because it's all good and all desirable, um, so it doesn't even matter what the stats are. Or, the, or they'll try to say that it's, the children will just grow up hetero in, in a gay home. But it's, it's partly nurture, right? Nature and nurture. Okay. So I just found myself really sad when I saw this picture. I just got sadder and sadder as everybody else was rejoicing. And I just said, oh my gosh, that poor little baby. Like, what, what's really going on in this picture? Okay. I'm going to show you something um, to just show that there's different ways to think about this stuff because we're... we're fed a party line, you know? And again, it's very unified. There are organizations that are well-funded and they work day and night to create this gender ideology. 
and to make us use their language, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and again, it seems very unified, like it did for my young friends who just kept looking at their phones. So I don't know if you know this, but in um, France in 2014, before same-sex marriage was passed, the people of France marched on the Champs Elysees several times. Um, and you might say they're against same-sex marriage. Well, when we're against something, when we say no to something, we're always saying yes to something else, right? So they were supporting marriage. And again, France, 1.8 million French people marched in favor of marriage. Now you notice I'm not putting the word traditional in front of it, or natural marriage. No, 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 it's just marriage. It's what it is. A man and a woman and their children, naturally conceived. Um, that's a lot of French people. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I didn't even know this happened, because was, there was a blackout. I was living in the States at the time. There was a media blackout. They kept marching on the Champs-Élysées in these, uh, the Manif Portu, uh, the demonstration for all. Um, you will see atheists, socialists, academia, the gay community of Paris, um, all saying this is not marriage. And, and, and instantly tying it with children, because it doesn't just stay there between people, right, relationships, and they want to have kids, et cetera, et cetera. So they were marching around with signs that said things like, sex, not gender, sex, not, the French are very philosophical. Um, <laughs> um, they had stuff like, every child naturally conceived and raised with their biological parents, you know, they had these, like, signs. Um, you will see the Madelines. They're these ladies in white. I don't know how you get to be a Madeline, but they have little red caps, and they're holding the Constitution of France in their hand. It's like a really big deal. Um, so the French, and I want you to ask yourself, why France? Of all skinny, uh, fashionable, secularized people, why are they doing this? What is going, why France? What do they know that we don't know? Why, why did they do this? And in the end, Francois Hollande did an executive order and just passed it through. They said, we want a referendum. Let us vote on this. And he just, by fiat. So at the end, you'll see the girl go, Francois, call me. Anyway, OK. Whoops. Now, this is going to blow your mind, because it's going to look like a pride parade, a gay pride parade, and it's not. And, and are these haters, are these people marching for hate? No, because the gay community of Paris was there marching. So what we're going to do is um, have questions for 20 minutes. I had a bunch more stuff I wanted to cover, but you know.
there was like a lesbian couple, can't they just have like an uncle in the family? So they would still get like the, you know, like the male figure. Mm -hmm. How would you respond to that? Um, did you all hear the question? So a, a student, um, Kate is a teacher, um, was saying like, well, why can't lesbians have uh, kids if there's at least like an uncle around to be the, the male figure? So again, I think we're, we're so used to, um, what's the word like? Christopher West calls them flat tires. We're so used to like driving around with flat tires in a fallen world that we think that's the only, we think that's, the way it is, and nothing can be done about that. And so we just keep saying, we take a situation and just say, well, how can we make this situation better when there's no right way to do the wrong thing? Does that make sense? So first of all, if those kids were created newly, um, every child has a right to be raised, if at all possible, with their own biological mother and father. So already, that's been taken away from the child. Um, it is true, actually, though, that guys, uh, especially, but not so much for the girls, we forget that girls need dads, too. Girls desperately need fathers, otherwise they do not know what a good man looks like. They have no idea what to... I, I was just talking with two gals down in Texas, both raised by single moms in a fatherless family, and the, both of them said to me, I don't understand men at all. I am so, like, kind of scared of men, and I'm, I'm scared of being taken advantage of men because I just, I don't know. And... They feel very unprotected. There's no, like, dad or big brother to protect them or whatever. Um, it's just an interesting dynamic for these women. Um, and also, the one thing they know that keeps girls from becoming sexually active as teens is if there's a loving, strong father figure in the home. It's statistically proven, right? That's not saying that all girls who don't have a dad in the home are going to go out and be sexually active, but... Um, you're creating what we already know. We have the data. What is statistically not good for children. We know this. And so we're trying to make good out of a situation for the sake of the parents. I was thinking of this just today. Back in the day when parents raised kids, it was all about the children in the sense of like, how can I be a good parent? Dr. Spock books. <laughs> there were these books like how to raise your kid. And every, all the parents would read them. And now the books are like, how can I fulfill myself like while still being a mother on the side or like a dad on the side, like it's my little project, little hobby with my kids or something, and how can I be fulfilled and reinvent myself and lean in and I don't know what the heck. And it used to be all about the kids, right? Like, how can we be the best parents possible so we don't screw this kid up? <laughs> right? And now it's like, we're going to start by screwing the kid up by their birth the situations of their birth, and then we're going to try to make it better somehow. You know, no, no. So, um, and again, we have many young people today growing up same-sex parented homes, and they love their parents, and they should. Um, but, but some of them do see that, that this is not ideal, and they, um, you should, there's a guy, Robert Oscar Lopez, he, he was brought up uh, by two lesbians, and um, he said, it was very hard for me because I, I didn't have, like, the confidence that a male would have to, like, he says, I didn't know how to relate to males, but I didn't know how to relate to women either because I knew I wasn't a woman, and I, I, a woman, and I was so affected by the, the women in my home. And um, so, anyway, it's, it's just very confusing. And, um, but, again, the, the uncle thing, 
It, does, it can help a young man. If he doesn't have a dad, father figures and mentors can really help a young man a lot who doesn't have a father. It, it can actually be a bit of a substitute. But would it be better to have his own dad? Of course, if it wasn't some abusive monster or something, yes, yes. So again, people like to go to the exceptions, right? And they'll say, well, when it, with abortion, right, it was like rape and incest. And the majority of, of them are not about rape and incest, right? Even, even Roe v. Wade in the United States was built on a lie. She wasn't raped. She had consensual sex with a guy and got pregnant, right? So, and I'm not saying that these aren't hard cases, these other cases, but we need to talk about the regular, everyday, what is best for kids, et cetera, not just always run to all the exceptions. And it helps to have the stats. So um, there's a lot of stats in the book, Loving My LGBT Neighbor. Um, and I've gathered some other stats online. So if you give me your email, I'm going to send you like collected resources. So you don't have to go crazy Googling things. And But it helps to have some stats and studies. And I'll tell you, some of the studies are being repressed. Supp sorry, suppressed. Because they don't want, everyone loves science until it says something we don't like. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Someone else? Yes. Sure. It's um, again. There's people who are truly, and again, we're not to judge. Like we don't know who's who. Like truly same-sex attracted or truly are experiencing transgender issues. But then there's others that might do it to rebel or because it's cool. And let me tell you something. There are statistics about the fluidity of um, what young people experience as teenagers, and then how it all pans out. So this idea of like having children transition to the other sex or, or while they're still, this sh shouldn't even be until well after puberty, you know? And if somebody has severe psychological issues about thinking that they're the wrong person trapped in the wrong body, but to transition while you're still young, is, is not, very young, is not a good idea. So the majority of people who experiment as teens or even identify, here's, here's the stats, um, approximately 3% of the current heterosexual population once claimed to have been either SSA or bisexual. So 3% had at one time in their younger years thought they were bisexual or same-sex attracted. Um, there, these are studies done like in New Zealand and other places to, with, with quite a, a large group 10,800 adolescents between the ages of 16 and 22-year-olds. Of the 16-year-old males who had exclusively SSA, 61% had opposite sex, attracts, uh, sex attraction at age 17. So in just one year, they started to also be attracted to females. 
For the same sex attracted females, 81% changed to opposite attraction in just one year. 75% of adolescent males with same sex attraction at age 17 had opposite sex attraction by age 22. Now, 25% persisted in it because it was really, they really did have same sex attraction, but 75% didn't. So, um, but we're being told now, this is what you are. You are this. You can't change. You were born this way. It's not, um, for you, it's not this fluid fluidity. I didn't know about this until I started studying all this, that young people do experience kind of a range um, in their teenage years of attraction. But then by about age 22, it tends to um, balance out on the side of heterosexuality. So because there are these movements that are recruiting and because gender ideology is telling you, um, you need to experiment. You need to to be other than what you are. Uh, you need to invent your own sex. I always tell young people, you don't have to work that hard. <laughs> it's a given. It's a gift to you, male or female. You know. Um, so yes, I think we are failing by not first teaching the parents, right? Because the parents don't know. Parents didn't have theology of the body growing up. How can they possibly hand it on to their kids? You know, but now it's become dire. It's, it's at the point where we don't have an option whether or not to know theology of the body, whether or not to teach our kids. But it's going to take time. It takes time and effort to understand this stuff and see how it all makes sense and fits together and is not uh, meant to be against anyone else. Something just being what it is, a man or a woman being what they are is not against someone else. The binary is not oppressive. It is not against someone else just by being what it is. To think that way is profound intolerance. To think that my being a woman is against uh, lesbians or trans, trans women or, or something like that is profound intolerance of me. You're saying that I am just negative. I'm just one big ball of negativity. And by the way, when people call me haters online or whatever, call me a hater, I say, you just judge me. I said, you just name called. You don't know me. You don't know what's in my heart. There's no hate in my heart, and I, don't, I treat everybody well. So you just judge me, and I think you treated me in a very hateful manner. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. That's why I said I think we're going to see more of this. And some of it's not exactly going to be genuine. In the sense, it's coming out of something else. It's it's a response to something else. It's a it's a way of being in response to something else. But um, you know, in, in this crazy idea that women are afraid of trans women, that we're afraid of trans people in our bathrooms. No, we are not. They're lovely people. We are not afraid of trans women. We are afraid of pervs, pervy men who are going to come in because now any man, he, he doesn't even have to dress like a woman, can walk into the bathroom, our bathroom, and hurt us or film us. Or they are, and they are. Um, so, yeah. So, so this 0.2% this minority is going to put the majority, 50% of the population at risk? Really? Seriously? This is not, this makes no sense on any level. So, so the idea of like changing all these laws and stuff, yes, people should be protected. People should feel safe, blah, blah, blah. But to give, um, you know, people special rights just because they identify as LGBT 
is not right. So for example, if you can, it can be proven that you said something or did something to somebody and you did it because they were LGBTQ, you're going to have a much more severe penalty than if you just uh, hit somebody because you didn't like them, right? So this is like, why, why do certain members of the population have this super duper special treatment and special rights that nobody else gets just because they say, I am this, or I identify as that, or I have this orientation. And they, now they have like super duper duper rights that the rest of us don't get. There's already things in place to prevent people punching other people in the face and hurting other people, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, yeah. So what can we do about it? Um, again, just educate ourselves as much as we can. Pray. Um, be friends with people uh, who, who are um, experiencing same-sex attraction, whatever. Never disown kids. Um, but get them the help that they need, the pastoral care, the, the pastoral help that they need. CourageRC.net is amazing. And um, in March 18, we're going to have that uh, day with two members. I really believe what we have today, it goes back to identity. Um, and I've been, I've been talking to other people about this. We have what I call an orphan spirit in the world today, right now. Um, and what does that mean? You could be an actual orphan, like you don't have parents, and you were adopted, or you weren't adopted, and now you're grown up, or whatever, and you don't have an orphan spirit, because you know God, and you know that you're loved, and you have loving people in your life, or you were adopted. And so you don't have an orphan spirit. But for example, the example that your, your friend gave, the student gave, um, that child had an orphan spirit created for them because they had one biological mother, the father's out of the picture, so an orphan spirit was created for that child. Does that make sense? Also, with the atheism, um, people feeling alone in the universe. Even if they have really great parents and a great family, this feeling alone in the universe, or missing one parent for whatever reason, um, especially with the breakdown of the family. People don't have their, their biological parent or the parent they grew up half of their life with or whatever, um, especially a father figure, I think, because usually the mother gets the children. Um, sometimes lack of parenting. The parents are in the home, but they refuse to parent because they want to be the cool parents, and they want to be the friends, and they won't say no, and the children don't know what no means, and they don't have any boundaries and they don't have any self-discipline, right? So I think there's this orphan spirit that we have, lack of family life. The family's there, but everyone's so busy, 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 busy. No meals, no family meals, or maybe one a week, maybe. Um, everyone brings their devices to the table. So everyone's physically present, but not emotionally present, not giving each other conversation time, not listening, right? This is all creating an orphan spirit. People are so lonely today. Um, I met a girl recently, teenager. She goes, I hate Thanksgiving. This was in the States. And I said, I never had anybody say that. <laughs> she said, I said, why? And you know, Thanksgiving's a big deal to Americans, right? It's bigger than Christmas. It's huge. Everybody goes home for Thanksgiving. And she goes, well, because we never have meals together, like the rest of the year, ever. And so we have to sit there and like make conversation. We have to talk to each other. It's so awkward. <laughs> My, my heart was breaking for this girl. Um, so we need to stop and say, what are, what are my priorities? What are our priorities as a family? 
What do we need to change in our lives so we can actually live those priorities? Um, so I just love that God, God understands. He knows this. He knows that people have this orphan spirit. So he says, no, you're not an orphan. I am your father. Um, the Holy Spirit, do you remember that? Jesus said, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which simply means God present and active in our lives. Um, you should see The Shack, if you haven't. Have you, anyone read the book, The Shack? It's really a, an interesting book. You can go to my blog if you want to read my review, hellburns.blogspot.com, just like it sounds. It's my name, Sterlina Burns. Hell, H-E-L-L, burns.blogspot.com. I do all my movie reviews there. Um, and it's about this guy who has a lot of tragedy in his life, and he goes and he meets the Trinity in a shack in the woods. I know it sounds really corny and really awful, but it's not. It's so good. And it's all about relationship. We'll never understand God, ourselves, or the problem of evil in the world and in our lives outside of relationship with God. So, you know, we can't live our lives without God. I know there's a lot of parents here tonight. I was told that. You know, there was this Time magazine, I'll get it, all about anxiety and depression, I'll get it. And <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Um, anxiety, depression in the American adolescent, you know, all these kids on Soloft and everything. And like, this is not, you know, there, there's a normal kind of teenage depression and this and that, but this is existential. You know, it's so widespread, I could tell you so many stories, and it continues on into young adulthood. and. I said, what do our young people need? Why is this happening? Well, some of the things we already mentioned, but we need God. We can't live our lives without God. It's crazy. We came from God. We're going back to God. Life is short. Right? We need God. These young people need God so badly in their lives to know that they're not orphans. They're not alone. All right. So Satan always offers us a false identity, Um, I'm going to wrap up with this article that I read recently that said, um, so we have a father, right? Who's our father? God the Father. We have a mother. Who's our mother? Mary. Yay! Because we're Catholic and we love Mary. We understand she's our mother. And we also have the church as our mother, right? And hopefully people who are feeling lost and alone will find a welcome in the church. Um, Jesus is our brother. The saints are our siblings. We're the mystical body of Christ. It's organic. And we have got the good angels. We don't just have those stupid bad angels tempting us and making our... We have the good angels on our side, all right? So anyway, um, they were talking to some exorcists, and they were saying that there's there've been like a series of these three spirits in our world. The first one was a more apathetic spirit that started the sexual revolution and just got people to like get into pleasure and hedonism and then all the problems that that caused. The second spirit was a spirit of apostasy, so abandoning of the truths of our faith. Um, but not only that, it's kind of like the orphan spirit where people believe they're beyond hope. They don't believe um, there's any hope for them um, and that God loves them and that they can become better people, that holiness is possible, right? I could go on and on about that. And then the third one, which they believe is we're living in now is the Antichrist, that in a certain sense there's a spirit of the Antichrist today, um, denies that God came in the flesh, which would mean through Mary, 
think about that. Um, theology of the body, the Antichrist is good. And where, where Satan is more ready to show his face today, right? He's a little more open and out there. But Our Lady of Fatima, 100th anniversary, says we need an increase of prayer and reparation, right, to, to combat that. Because she said, evidently, she said in the last days that the attack would be against marriage and the family. JP2 talked about that too. So thank you so much. God bless you. And um, if I don't have your email, just make sure I get it. Where's that clipboard? Did I get it back? It's in the back. Um, so you can either sign up by clipboard. Oh, and we're not fighting people, by the way, even the people who are spreading gender ideology. They're just being used. They're being used to Satan. They don't even know it. We're not fighting with people or lawmakers or you know, the gay lobbyists or whatever. There, there's something bigger going on here, and that's so cool. We can love people, right? Because we're not fighting with people. Okay. Um, and we're not orphans. Amen. Okay, thanks. So thank you so much for Sister Helena for being able to come with us today, and also Sister Catherine for accompanying us as well. And um, we know that both of you are very, 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 very busy traveling around everywhere, always giving talks. So we thank you so much for being able to come to our church community and be able to share all your knowledge with us and um, <laughs> help be part of Yosak as well. Once part of Yosak, always part of Yosak. That's right. <laughs> okay, so um, as a thank you, we do have this for you. Thank you so much. So, um, much. so again, thank you so much for um, everything and this evening. Thank you. And Thanks closing. for Swiss Chalet. <laughs> <laughs> we went out to eat before. <laughs> okay, and um, yes. we're closing prayer. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here tonight to hear your message. A message of love and acceptance for ourselves as you have created us. Um, a message of the beautiful gift of masculinity and femininity. And we ask you to help us to live that. Help us to understand it more. Help us to reach out to our own families, our children, our friends, our neighborhoods. Um, and with, with a word of comfort and a word, maybe sometimes even of challenge, um, to love our neighbor as ourselves uh, for, for the sake of you, Lord. And um, to really want their best and to, to really understand what that best is, um, which is your plan. It's always your plan, Lord. And um, so we ask you to strengthen us. We ask Mother Mary to be with us during this Lenten time. Um, we ask all of our saints and angels, St. Agnes and all of our patron saints and our guardian angels to accompany us on our way and to help us grow ever more um, in our trust of you, Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Okay, and so right now, um, first I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight. We really, really appreciate it. And I guess you can thank Sister Catherine and Sister Helena again. I guess also right now, um, before we all go, we would like a little bit of help and to stack up the chairs. And yeah, we'll, we'll need help to clean up. And if you want to
to look at the book selection too that we have. They're just right at the back. And we can ask Sister Catherine for more details. And so thank you and good night.